Glad to see you in the house of the Lord this morning. Are, are you glad that you're here this morning? Yes. Uh, would you rather be here than getting a root canal? Yes. Amen, amen. Kind of puts it in perspective, right? Hey, I'm glad that you're here with us. Um, I'm Steve. I'm one of the pastors here at Woodlawn, and it's my privilege to be in the house with you this morning. Uh, we had a great time of worship at Worship at the Water, the sunshine, and all that was going on. It was an amazing day, and folks really seemed to connect with the Lord. And I hope that that's what we come together for. It's not, not to hear great music. It's, it's not to hang out and just do things. It's to be with Jesus. And so the Bible says where two or more are gathered in his name, he is there in the midst. And so we are here together today to celebrate him. Hey, um, this week I, I read a, a story I want to share with you. Um, a, a woman's husband had been slipping in and out of a coma for several months, and yet she re remained the epitome of love and loyalty, and she stayed by his bedside day and night. She never left him. Finally, when he came to, he motioned for her to come near, and she sat down by him, and he whispered, and his eyes were filled with tears as he grabbed his hand. He says, honey, you know what? You've been with me through all the bad times. When I got fired, you were there to support me. When my business failed, you, you were right there. When I got shot, you were by my side nursing me back to health. When we lost the house, you, you didn't waver. You stayed right there. And when my health began to decline, you have been loyal this entire time, right there by my side. And you know what? She said, what, dear? And her voice began to tremble with emotion. There was a smile on her heart, and she, she began to feel a warm sensation all over. He said, honey, I think you're bad luck. <laughs> you've been with me. You've been loyal. But I have you, I think, as bad luck. Kind of missed it, didn't he? I mean, there was a great opportunity, and he let it go right on by. And today, we're going to be looking at and continuing our series on forgotten virtues, and today, we're going to be looking in and honing in on loyalty. When, when you think of loyalty, what comes to your mind? Think about that. I immediately go to man's best friend, bacon, right? <laughs> I mean, bacon never lets you down, does it? It never disappoints you. It doesn't mind if you're in a moody situation. It doesn't mind that you're ugly. It doesn't mind that you've been just kind of impatient with it. It always forgives. It, it doesn't hold grudges. It's always there. It cheers you up. Bacon never lets you down. Nah, I kid. Something, all right? No, when we think of, of man's best friend, we think of dogs, don't we? I mean, they're, they're just kind of the epitome of loyalty, and do you know the most loyal breed of dog there is? The most loyal kind of dog? And it, it worship at the water, they started screaming out, Collies and Labradors. And I mean, they just go on and on and on with the various breeds. No, no the most loyal kind of dog is the hot dog. <laughs> you see, it's the only one that feeds the hand that bites it, right? <laughs> okay. No, loyalty and dogs go hand in hand. They go like hand in glove. You see, dogs are social animals who prefer the company of other animals. It doesn't matter. They just like to be around a pack of living beings. And, and some have speculated and sensed that, that dogs' loyalty and their desire to be around others and in the company of a community is because they know it's the key to survival. 
that you go farther together than you do if you go at it alone. And there was a time in our culture where we had sort of the same mentality. We felt we were better together. We would stick together and we'd weather storms together. There was a sense of unity and dependability, trustworthiness and reliability. People were faithful and loyal because they felt like together we're going to go further than if we go on the journey alone. Years ago, uh, maybe some of you remember your parents or your grandparents who who had this same job their entire career. They never changed jobs. They, they started to work at a company and they retired from that very same company. They were loyal to their employer and, and oftentimes the employers back in that day rewarded that loyalty with, with benefits and raises and promotions. Back in the day there was a loyalty to brands. I, I remember folks in my family don't offer them a Pepsi if they drank Coke. They were loyal to their brand. Um, some of you may, may even remember this. There, there, there was a day and time where a Winston man would never smoke a Marlboro. And if you smoked camels, you, you weren't going to try anything else because you were a camel man. You'd rather fight than switch. Isn't that what the old commercial used to say? Same thing with companies. You, you would be loyal to a company, a brand, that if you bought one certain kind of washing machine, you bought all the appliances that that group had because you had trust and you were loyal to that brand. It, it's not the same way anymore on either side of the equation. It used to be you were loyal to a brand because they gave you something in return. They wanted to earn that, that loyalty. They wanted to live into that trust. Anybody here have a cable uh, contract? you got cable TV, you realize they're not really loyal to you except for that little introductory period where they give you the moon. But if you continue to faithfully pay your cable bill for 20 years, you're not going to get the deal that they've given to the people they're wanting to get into the company and use the service, are you? No, they're going to give that, that really low rate and that really cheap service and that bundle package to newbies. They're not loyal to you that have been loyal to them. Am I right? I mean, TVs and magazines, that they really kind of cater to this undermining of loyalties, don't they? They flooded the airwaves and, and the advertisements promising us stronger, newer, better, faster products. And they're always competing for your loyalty. Oh, you're not anything if you don't have this product. Or, man, you are way behind the times if you haven't gotten this one that's new and improved or bigger, stronger, faster. There's always competition for your loyalty and for your commitment. Nothing any longer is set in stone. And it has trickled down into our relationships and our friendships and our interpersonal dealings and workings. You see, I think we've forgotten about loyalty. Would you say that's true? And I believe that as a culture, we need to recapture faithfulness and commitment. Today, I want to take us to Matthew chapter 26. And I want us to read in God's word an example and an opportunity of exploring loyalty and a lack of loyalty and, and, and some factors that went on and took place in Matthew 26 among Jesus and the disciples. Now, let me set some backstage for you, so, some some of the particulars that have already happened. In this story, we, we find that Jesus has already washed the disciples' feet. 
He's already celebrated the Passover meal with them. He's already called out his betrayer and dismissed him from the group to go do what he needed to do. And he's already instituted the, the Lord's Supper, that, that last meal that we celebrate monthly here at Woodlawn. And they sang a hymn, the Bible, or the Bible tells us, and they adjourned to the Mount of Olives. And I don't know if it was on the way out to the Mount of Olives or if it was right when they first got there, but Jesus tells the disciples that all will fall away and forsake him. At this point, that's when Peter kind of stands up and vehemently denies Christ's prediction, and he responds with words of commitment and loyalty. Matthew 26, 33, Peter says, Even if all fall away on account of you, I will never do that. Jesus responds, I tell you the truth, this very night before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. But Peter declared, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. What a bold proclamation spoken with promise and passion. But the reality is that true loyalty is not proclaimed, it is proven. True loyalty is proven, not proclaimed. You've heard the phrase, talk is cheap. You've also heard the phrase, actions speak louder than words. It's not what you say, it's what you do. Proverbs chapter 20, verse 6 says, Many will say they are loyal friends, but who can find one who is truly reliable? Somebody that talks the talk and walks the walk. As I studied this scripture passage this week, there were a few things that really jumped off the pages at me and struck me. First of all, Peter really believed he would be faithful to Christ. That This was not something that, that, that he was just being braggadocious. In his heart of hearts, he believed that he would be faithful and loyal and committed to Christ. There was not a single doubt in his mind. There was no shadow there. He was serious that he was going to be committed and loyal no matter what. But what we find is disloyalty and unfaithfulness and a faltering commitment is hard for us to see in the mirror, isn't it? Hindsight truly is 2020. So, so what happened to Peter? The, this man who proclaims passionately to Christ, I'm never going to leave you. I'm never going to forsake you. Jesus, I'm in it for the long haul. I vow and I commit that I will die before I leave you. And then we find out verses later that he does the very thing Jesus tells him he's going to do. You're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows. And as I studied this week, I found some factors that contributed to Peter's eroding loyalty. And I want to share them with you because I think just as they may have been at work and factors in Peter's situation, I think that those still same things work on us and undermine us in our faith and our fidelity. The first one I see in the scripture is this, fatigue. But, but actually, we, we could kind of out beside that or any other distraction. Fatigue was Peter's distraction in that moment. There's something about when we get tired, we, we begin to think of other things and, and our, our priorities get a little mis, misaligned, right? The same thing happens when we get distracted. You remember, Peter was the one that was walking on the water to Jesus. He was part of that miracle. He was there with Jesus, and he was walking on the water. And what happened when he got 
sidetracked, when he got distracted, he started looking at the wind and the waves and he began to sink. So we got to beware of distractions, but especially beware of the distraction of fatigue. In this story in, in Matthew 26, we find in verse 40, Jesus had already told the guys, listen, I'm going to go pray and I want you to come with me to this distance, but then I'm going to go a little further. I want you to pray with me. Verse 40, when he returned to his disciples, he found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour, Jesus asked Peter. And so then he leaves and he goes back to pray and really encourage these guys, pray. I need you to pray. I need you to pray with me and for me. In verse 43, he came back and he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. And Jesus once again goes and he goes off to pray. And in verse 45, he returns again to the disciples and he says, Are you still sleeping and resting? You see, they were fatigued. I, I think that was part of what happened in Peter's situation is that fatigue began to erode his loyalty. When we're weary and tired, we're not the best versions of ourselves, are we? I mean, husbands and wives, you're probably nudging each other. You, you know what it is to, to wake up and, and to wake up on the wrong side of the bed. I, I never understood that concept, waking up on the wrong side of the bed. As long as I wake up on top of the bed and not under it, I feel like that's the right side of the bed, right? But we're susceptible to the enemy's schemes when we're fatigued and tired. I, I know when I get tired... And exhaustion sets in. And when I'm overly fatigued, that's when I'm most vulnerable to do things and to say things I wouldn't do under normal circumstances. Anyone else said or done things when you were tired that you wish you could get a mulligan on? I mean, you just totally blew it and you were like, could I just get a do-over on that one? Because if I was in my right mind and I was rested, I wouldn't be that person or I wouldn't have done that thing. My filter wasn't working or my guard had slipped up and I tripped. And I fell flat. I, I think we all can say that. We, we've had times when we've been fatigued and we have absolutely stumbled and fallen on our faith. And I think that's why God says, rest. I want you all to rest. Honor the Sabbath and keep it holy. You can work for six days, but I have designed you for a respite. To set some boundaries and give yourself time to heal and to renew and to restore yourself. Because God knew, as he wired us together, that fatigue undermines our ability to remain vigilant and to maintain commitments and our loyalties. I think that's why Jesus spoke to the crowd that day and said, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You see, fatigue or distractions will erode our faithfulness, which in turn can lead to a faltering prayer life or a diminished quiet time with Jesus. Jesus, uh, in Matthew 26, 41, he, he tells the guys, guys, I, I, I want you to watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Jesus is aware. Listen, your fatigue factor is working against here, working against you, and you need to be careful. You need to watch. You need to go ahead and pray because if you don't, some things are going to happen and you won't like We've already said that Peter had walked with Jesus for three years and he had been involved in the ministry and he had seen miracles and he had participated in a few of them. But when fatigue took over Peter's life, his prayer life suffered. 
in the moment that he needed to step up and do what Jesus asked him to do, watch and pray, where do we find him? Taking a nap. Finding other things that were more, enti- more important to him than spending time with Jesus or being in communication with and for him. He wasn't interested in Jesus at that point or spending time with him. He wanted to hit the snooze button. You ever been there? To sleep in, to indulge himself. His feet were clean. His belly was full. He found a comfortable place. I think he probably got a little warm. And he found himself snoozing. Church, we've got to beware of getting comfortable. Because when we get comfortable, we get lulled to sleep. It was a time to watch and pray. Because the spirit, while it was willing, the flesh was weak. If 21 days of prayer has taught me anything, it it has taught me the value of making my body do what I want it to do and not what it wants to do. That's why we go through fasting and prayer times where we are denying our body of some of its impulses and desires and we are telling it, you are not in control of me. I call the shots. I buffet my body is what Paul said and I make it my slave. And by praying and fasting and getting up really early, I'm telling my body, yes, you may want to sleep in. Yes, you may be tired. Yes, you may want chocolate or you want that bacon. But I've given that up for Jesus and I'm going to stay committed to him and not do what I want, but he wants. You see, that moment when your time with Jesus is no longer a priority, trouble is never far behind. I've watched it in family and friends, y'all. They've lost a little bit of their fervor and they got a little tired or weary in their faith and they took a step back. You've seen it happen. Oh, Jesus, I'm just really tired tonight. and So instead of praying, I'm just going to sleep. I'll talk to you in the morning. And then you wake up in the morning and, well, I hit the snooze button way too many times and so I'm in a hurry. I'm late for work and so my quiet time with Jesus or my talk time with Jesus gets rushed or put off to the side and I I run on into my day and and days turn into weeks turn into months and you're realizing where did I get to this place I didn't intend to get here but I've gave up so much ground spiritually that I've found myself now in places and doing things that my friends and family weren't proud of you see they compromised their integrity not all at once but in little small increments Fatigue, taking their time away from Jesus and taking away their their communication and their prayer life suffering, all because they took one simple step back in their devotion. They stopped listening to and talking with the Lord and they started giving their ears to other conversations and voices that influenced them to do things that Christ would have had them avoid. And when that happens... We start doing things that aren't very Christ-like, right? Because you remember this story and how it plays out. After Jesus comes the third time, he's like, okay, the time is at hand. My, my accusers are here. And the group comes to arrest Jesus. And what does Peter do in verse 51 as the crowd's there and they lay hands on Jesus to take him away? Whack! He pulls out his sword and he takes off the ear of the high priest's servant. It was not his best WWJD moment, I assure you. Peter acted impulsively out of fatigue and and just a little bit of stepping back and not having that prayer time like he should have. And then he does this. And Jesus says, listen, guys, put the swords away. 
Those who live by the sword die by the sword. That, I don't sanction that kind of stuff. That, that's not my way. And so put it down, and, and you see the downward spiral continuing in Peter. This forgetting the virtue of loyalty and this vow and commitment that he's made to Christ. And so Jesus is arrested and led away. And what started with fatigue impacted his quiet time and him praying with Jesus. Then it led to unchristlike actions, which leads to following Jesus from a distance. You notice the loyalty erosion taking place little by little. It's not a huge noticeable event, but it's happening all the same. Verse 58, Peter followed Jesus as a, at a distance right up to the courtyard of the high priest. Now, I know what the Bible is saying here. I realize it's a spatial thing, that Jesus was a, a distance away, kind of tracking Jesus but not wanting to get too close. I realize it's spatial, but I also want you to recognize it's spiritual too. He, he, had, he had begun the drift from Jesus. He, he began to not have that closeness, that intimacy that he once had. And when that happens, we begin to lag behind in our faith. We begin to trail Jesus and not, there's Peter, he's not in his usual place right up near Jesus or closely conversing with him. He's fallen away. And I wonder if he, as he's following Jesus from a distance, I wonder if Jesus' words talking about those who put their hand to the plow and then turning back not being fit for the kingdom, I wonder if those words were ringing in his ear. I don't know what was going through his mind, but but I wonder if he's like, oh gosh, I've blown it. Can, can I really recover from this place? Because the very thing I said I wouldn't do, I have gone and done. And then he, he continues to follow at a distance and he finds himself in a courtyard where people begin to recognize him as being one of Jesus' followers. You, you were with him, one person said. Oh, no, 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 that's not me. You got me mistaken. Somebody else, no, I, I think you were. I think I recognize you as being one of his followers. No, 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 no. No, I, I'm certain of it. Your, your accent gives you away. You are a follower of Jesus. And each accusation brought a greater rebuke from Peter to the point where the Bible said he cursed and swore to them that he didn't know Jesus. Now, Peter was a fisherman. I have a feeling he was pretty averse to cursing and, and he could probably curse the wallpaper off the wall if they'd had wallpaper at that point. And so the Bible says he just got raw and let them have it. I don't know the guy. And the rooster crows. And the words of Jesus come flooding back to him. Before the night's over, before the rooster crows, you have denied me three times. Oh, not me. Not me, Jesus. I'm with you to the end. I'm going to be loyal. I'm, I'm committed to you, Jesus. And in that moment, the commitment had been compromised. His vow had been broken. And he did the very thing he proclaimed he would never do. He forgot the virtue of loyalty, commitment, and fidelity. And it all seems like it started with fatigue that invaded his quiet time that impacted his behavior, that resulted in him distancing himself from Jesus, and it created in him, finally, a divided heart. The Bible in Matthew 6, 24 says, No man can serve two masters. He will love one and hate the other, 
or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. The moment that Peter began to distance himself from Jesus, he began to think of his own survival. He had been faithful to Jesus for so long, but in that moment, he lost sight of the master and began to put himself on the throne of his life, and he began to protect his own selfish interests, a, his life, his well-being. Do, do you remember the series we just finished here last month talking about selfless? And do you remember the tagline we used there that in order to be self that we had to be selfless in order to become more faithful that we have to deny ourselves and take up our cross to follow Jesus we we can't sit on the throne of our life and be a sold out follower of Jesus that in order to be faithful we have to become selfless and what happened with Peter is as he got distant from Christ he became selfish washed out for himself you see when we lose sight of Jesus loyalty suffers I think that's why Peter ran away and wept bitterly because he understood that he had broken his vow and his covenant he realized that he had compromised himself in ways that he never thought possible and he was unfaithful to the one who had always been faithful to him and so he wept you been there You've been at that place where you were all in for Jesus and, and life happened and you got a little fatigued and you stopped going to Bible study or stopped having your quiet time. You started mixing with the wrong crowd and doing the wrong things. And the next thing you know, you realize you're a long way from where you started and where you really know you ought to be. And, and life has turned upside down and you just weep. Have I blown it, God? Can I tell you the good news of the New Testament? Christ died to wipe away that mess. Christ died to bring you back. He is the prodigal father. Yeah, we talk about the prodigal son who went away and, and spent his life in riotous living. But think about the, the father who lavishly gave it all back to the son when he just turned his heart toward home. The Bible says in 1 John 1.19, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Isn't that good news to know, man, if I've blown it, if my sins are red as scarlet, that God can make them whiter than snow and that God can remove my sin from me as far as the east is from the west and He can throw it into the sea of His forgetfulness and remember it no more and I can be forgiven and I can be free. And my loyalty... And my faith and my vow and my commitment can be restored. James 4 tells us, come close to God and God will come close to you. That's good. Man, if we run to the Father, we find out the Father has been running to us and running after us, just wanting that opportunity to get us back in His arms. The Bible tells us to wash our hands, to purify our hearts, for our loyalty had been divided between God and the world. So let there be tears for what you have done. Let there be sorrow and grief but do something about it. Come back to the Father. You see, the devil, our enemy, wants to undermine our loyalty to Christ, doesn't he? He knows that if he can destroy our faith, if he can undermine the foundation that we have in Christ, then the other areas of your life are vulnerable to his attack. And we understand this. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. He wants to destroy and kill and mess up everything you are and everything you have and everything you hold dear. 
2 Corinthians chapter 2 tells us we're not unaware of his schemes. We know what he's up to. He wants to take us down and destroy that which is near and dear to us because when, if he can get us away from the pack, if he can get us away from the protection of our alpha dog Christ, he knows that we are vulnerable to going down. I'm going to just run through this next part because you know these things. The enemy is after you, and he wants to attack your marriage, and he wants to make your loyalty and your commitment in your marriage suffer. He wants to attack your friendship and your family ties because he knows that, that if he can get you isolated, then, then he can have his way with you, and he wants you to alienate you from your faith community. See, you see, I was thinking about this as I was coming over here from worship at the water. He wants to alienate you from your spouse because that inhibits your prayer life. He wants to take you away and he wants to socially distance you from, from your friends and your families because he knows they are there to help you in a time of struggle. And if he can get you out, you, you are truly on an island by yourself. And he knows that if he can undermine your faith and your, your loyalty and your commitment to your faith community, that that he has no one standing in the gap between him and the world. Here's what the Bible says in Acts chapter 2. All believers were together and had everything in common. They were selling their possessions and goods. They gave any, anything to anyone as they had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. Well, why is this significant in this time, in this day, in, in, in our present situation? You've heard about this virus, right? You've not been living under a rock? Have you been fighting with the folks over toilet paper? I mean, people are losing their minds, right? I think it's because people have allowed fear to enter the equation. Listen, we are not to be people of fear. We are to live by faith and not by sight. We're not to fear. We're to have faith. We're to step up in the times when the world kind of uh, hinders back, when they, when they began to crouch in fear. Ours is the position where we step up into the moment where our faith in Christ begins to inform our actions and our communication with Christ and our Bible study enables us to see that we are to be His hands and feet extended to our community. Do you remember it wasn't but a couple of years ago that we had been devastated by Hurricane Michael Church? And you know what? In that moment, as we were coming together, pulling out, our, out of the rubble and trying to clean up our community and put our lives back on, we were like... Is there any way that we can come out of this? Is there really any future for us? Can we survive this? Guess what, church? Because of the faithfulness of God, we are here and we are still standing. God is faithful. God is good. And this virus did not take him off guard. The one who watches over us does not slumber or sleep. He is vigilant. He is a good father and he knows how to take care of his children. And he wants his children to be those who take care of the others. My Bible tells me that pure and undefiled religion is this. To take care of widows and orphans in their distress while you're keeping yourself unstained from the world. There's such a hysteria right now where, where selfishness and survival mode has kicked in. Where people are stockpiling toilet paper. This isn't the time for stockpiling and survival mode. This is the time for us to serve one another in love. 
You know that, that, that widow down the street who is an at-risk person? They need extra love and extra care. Church, is this going to be our hour to step into that place? There are other people that are shut-ins. There are other people that don't have the finances to absorb this kind of moment in this kind of scenario. This is our time. I hope that in this moment, the church doesn't go invisible, but that we step up and we proudly proclaim that we will not go quietly to the enemy's schemes. But ours is the victory. We've already seen what the enemy meant for evil. God is going to turn it out for good, and God is going to do some things if we will allow him to through our hands and through our mouths. Back during Hurricane Michael, I shared the story about the bombed-out church in World War II over in Europe. You all remember that? Where there had been a bomb that hit a church and there was a statue in the church where Christ had his hands extended and the, and the bomb blast blew off both, both hands of Jesus. And the congregation had to make a decision when they were rebuilding the church, what would they do with the statue? And they decided that they were not going to tear the statue down. Instead, they put a plaque up so that all who would see the statue would know this. He has no hands but your hands. That's us, church. It's time for us to stop seeing that church is a place where we go and a thing we do. It's a people that we are. We don't go to church. We are the church. And it's our place to step into the gap on behalf of those that are less fortunate. It's our place to step in and meet needs in Jesus' name. It's our place to offer a cool cup of water in the name of Christ. Or in this case, maybe a little hand sanitizer or a few rolls of toilet paper. It's our time. I'm not going to fear. And I'm not going to be so bold as to say to Pete, like Peter did, Jesus, I'm never going to let you down because I know, I know me. There, there's plenty of places where I need to step up my, my loyalty and my faith and my commitment. But I want to be faithful. I want to be loyal. And I want this to be our, our church together. You know what would be great? is if this week, as we went about our daily stuff, as we go to the grocery store, maybe we buy an extra bottle or two of hand sanitizers or cleaning supplies. Or maybe pick up that extra package of toilet paper. Not for us, but we bring it to We Care. And we say, you know what? This is a time when We Care may get hit with a lot of needs and requests. And that the community realizes, you know the place to go when you're down and out? When you're fearful and scared? And you got nothing? Well, I'm not going to say that. You don't have any toilet paper? The church is the place to go. Because they love and they care and they, they provide stuff like that. This is our moment, church. This is our moment. Would you pray with me? Lord, I thank you that you say that whatever we ask in prayer, you you will give it to us if we have faith. I thank you, God, that you said if we have faith the size of a mustard seed, that we could say to this mountain, be removed and cast into the sea, and it would up and go. Lord, we want to come, and we want to pray, and we want to believe that. Lord, today we come, we ask, we seek, and we knock, looking forward to you responding and opening doors and providing ways where there seem to be no ways. And this time of fear in our culture help us to be people of faith and not to waver in our loyalty of you nor our loyalty to one another so God come work in us and work through us